Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is a lecture I gave literally two days ago at the American College of Radiology. They had this abdominal imaging course, and the title was 3DCT. When is it really needed? Which is always a great question. And uh, what I'm going to try to do today is really tell you the answer to that question. So you can see the second title slide actually kind of fits perfectly. There it is, 3D. When is it needed? And I guess the question I asked there was how many people in the audience were doing 3D routinely with CT. And by count of hands, it was probably 10%. And it doesn't really surprise me because I've gotten 10% as the answer for the last 10 or 20 years. So for whatever reason, it's not changing much in terms of the radiologist. If you ask the referring physician, physician particularly if it's oncology or surgery, they're going to say 100% or close to it. If you ask the patient, they're going to say 100% only in the sense is whatever is best for making the right diagnosis and whatever is best for their management is what they want. So why do we need 3D? Well, I've shown this slide before making the point that when we look at a CT scan, there's lots of information. The point is you need to see the critical information. You need the finding that's hidden in all the noise. In this case, we're looking for Waldo, and it's almost impossible to see those who remember looking at these Waldo puzzles. But once you find him, it becomes very obvious that it's him. So we're looking within a lot of information, trying to pick out key information recognizing 99% of the information is CT scan, but missing the 1% important is a failure. We also know that sometimes things seem to be what they really aren't. And these perceptions, whether it was this beer can fountain or this airplane or this trail of smoke or this very tiny person in the hand or the statue trying to catch the airplane, all seem to be logical explanations for things that are indeed not true. And so if you put it in our world, in radiology, our job is taking data and transforming this information into mission-critical information. This information really impacts patient care and will often determine what needs to get done to that patient. So if you think about it, when you're dealing with mission-critical information, you need to be precise exact and you need to transfer this information correctly to the referring physician for them to use it in managing the patient and that's where 3D comes in. It's interesting CT has rapidly evolved over many many years and when you look at the different scanners maybe what's most important is the number of slices but what you recognize from this chart is that if you're doing CT looking at axial imaging even though your scanners have improved in resolution temporal and spatial is better you're still probably looking at about the same number of slices per case, even though now we're doing between uh, uh, 10 and 50 times as many slices. And within all those slices, there's so much information. It's interesting to me, we all speak about protocols, and one of the most popular things on CT is us is protocols. And we speak about, let's say, an application like kidney. Do you need non-contrast? What phases do you need? How do you inject the contrast? What's the volume? What's the injection rate? How do we maximize the information and minimize the dose? KVP, MAS, collimation, reconstruction algorithms, including new things such as interval reconstruction. And we're very specific about those things, but we're not specific about how you review the data sets. And in fact, this tends to be addressed in most protocols by simply not addressing it and leaving it up to interpreting radiologists. And I think that's 
probably wrong. I think we really need to have some consensus when you need to use 3D imaging. Now, of course, one way to look at things is to consider what can you do. Well, we all look at the axial imaging, and now most people surely do have the multiplaners available on the newest scanners. You can build it into the protocol. You don't need to have a workstation or anything else because the technologists can generate very good coronals and sagittals on the workstation and ship them to you. So that's something that's a minimum you should be having. Now, 3D imaging is critical in many applications, as I'll show you some examples. Now, in some institutions, technologists, dedicated 3D labs, or just routine technologists, generate on predefined protocols of 3D imaging. I've always had an issue with that because no matter who does it, no matter how skilled they are, you're only seeing what they think is important. You're not seeing what might be important that they didn't recognize. And so for me, interactive rendering is really the way you want to go. Now, when you look at specific applications, one can say some applications are obvious going beyond the axial imaging. Cardiac is one of them, and I mentioned, although this was an abdominal imaging course, cardiac was a good example to show that beyond the axials, we use curved planars, uh, we are able to three-dimensionally generate different maps of the vessels in more complex cardiac anatomy. Uh, the 3D maps become important, but it's the combination of all of these images that allow us to determine the origin of the coronary arteries, quantify stenosis, and detect stenosis. So all of the things are put together. Now you might say that's important in cardiac, but what about in liver imaging? This is a patient with cirrhosis, vascular lesion, right lobe of liver. That's kind of obvious, but what about more information? Well, I could do a 3D map showing you the neovascularity of that tumor, which can be critical in treatment planning. It may be critical in predicting outcome of the patient with new chemotherapeutic agents. All that information is built into the data set, but unless you do the 3D mapping, in this case with MIP, you're not going to see that information. We talk about lesions having signatures. This is a neuroendocrine tumor, and maybe the primary is not specific, but the rim enhancement is specific for neoplasm. It's not hemangioma or a benign process. And then look at the uh, rim around the lesion, the invasion into the local zone around the tumor, and look carefully at the neovascularity. Again, the signature of the lesion is best seen in 3D. Or in this example of a benign lesion, focal nodule hyperplasia, vascular mass, central scar, coronal view showing the lesion, but on the 3D map, very nicely showing you the enlarged hepatic artery going to the center of the lesion, that fibrous scar centrally, very classic for FNH. I think it's important then to realize that information on a CT scan is far more than what you only could get by looking at the axial images alone. And volume imaging requires volume visualization. And this is not something unique to radiology, and it's something I've spoken about many times over the years, talking about scientific visualization. The more complicated the data sets, aerospace, seismic, whatever the large data sets, whether you need to look at things in a visual sense to get all the information. Getting reams and reams of data actually is a negative rather than a positive. Comment by Gershon talking about visualization as the process of transforming information into a visual form, enabling users to observe the information, and then from that they're able to perceive features which are hidden in the data, but nevertheless critical for data exploration and analysis. And I'd like to show this example of a little dot right there. And in fact, that dot is more than a dot, though it only looks like a little dot on CT. But when reconstructed, it's the left adrenal vein. 
and it's an obvious structure, but as a little dot on an axial imaging, trying to build it is really hard. But in 3D, it's very obvious, and this is one of the markers where you do a laparoscopic uh, nephrectomy. But again, it's showing you a very small structure, but well-defined, but easy to see as long as we approach it correctly. Or information from a data set. This is a patient with Crohn's disease, and you can see the thick and small bowel with a halo. Okay, you have the diagnosis, you kind of have some feel of extent, but if I take it the next step and do coronal imaging, look how much more impressive it is in terms of extent, in terms of the vascularity. But if I take it to the next step and show you MIP imaging, look how more impressive it is. Now you see the, the vascularity, the prominent vas erecta, making this active Crohn's disease. And I can go a little bit further showing you the volume rendering, which shows you the areas of feeding vessels, the stricturing, the abnormal enhancement, all the things you want to know in a patient with active Crohn's disease. Again, think about this image and think about the axial slices I showed you a few seconds ago. It's the same exact data set. It's how I extract maximum information from that data set. Or a case like this, a patient with Ehlers-Danlos, high propensity for aneurysms and dissections, look at the trumpeting. Look at the ballooning of both common iliac arteries. It's so much easier to observe in 3D and whether you're doing volume rendering and then you take the bones away or you look at MIP, all the information is there. And when the surgeon operates, what they see at surgery matches perfectly what they see at time of pre-op planning. And here's the post-op results. You can look at the axial imaging, and here's another patient with Ehlers-Danlos, and you see a common iliac artery aneurysm on the right, but look how much more impressive it is on the 3D. You provide a better understanding of extent, and oh yes, by the way, you also notice that in the patient's external iliac on the right, there is a small focal dissection seen. Or in this example, where you can see a graph, the patient had common iliac occlusion on the left, you see a graph from lower abdominal aorta, the superficial femoral. Again, it's much easier to appreciate the findings, the reconstructive surgery on a volume than it is looking at a series of axial imaging. And again, so much of what we do is communication. One of the big errors in radiology is errors in communication. And this is one of the potential areas where 3D mapping really can enhance what you're able to do. Now, there have been articles. It's not like there's not been articles about 3D imaging. This article by Parrish a couple of years ago talked about diagnostic confidence and accuracy of interpretation improving with post-processing, that the evidence in the literature supports the use of volume CT with MIP, volume rendering, and MPR to increase this diagnostic confidence and accuracy and sensitivity, and the fact you're able to create a few images uh, in the best orientation to give the referring physician so they can manage the patient. But yet, by the show of hands, that's not what's happening. And yes, we recognize some applications like virtual colonoscopy. You could do 2D or 3D imaging, depending what you prefer, with the same accuracy very high results. Though many people prefer 3D, it's a better way of looking at the information. The same thing is true in looking at the stomach. It's been shown that the accuracy of CT increases by about 30% when you do 3D imaging, so-called virtual gastroscopy. And it's not a surprise because if you look at this image of a coronal view of the stomach, think about the gastric folds and the fundus and if I put a scope in the stomach, which I did here like we do with virtual colonoscopy, look at the details of folds in the stomach. 
And all that information is there. It's a matter of us looking at it. So in this patient with the GI bleed, we're seeing a tumor in the body of the stomach. There it is. It's enhancing its submucosal. We'll look at it a little bit better here. And here we're seeing inside. That's what the endoscopist would see or the surgeon would see. Very nice 3D visualization, allowing them to plan and predict better what needs to be done. Even in cases where the axial imaging shows the mass nicely, there's a gastrointestinal stromal tumor, preoperative planning. When you go to the coronal display, the exophytic nature of the tumor and ulceration becomes more obvious. The extent, orientation, and areas of involvement are far easier to see within the 3D mapping. Other applications, pancreatic imaging might be a good application to think about. We've always looked at the pancreas in many ways the same. We're looking for the presence of mass. We're looking for duct dilatation as a sign of a potential mass, be it common duct or pancreatic duct. We're looking at the vessels. We're looking at mass effect. Well, if you look at this case, and I'll just show you one example, you very nicely see the dilated duct in the pancreatic tail and a transition in the junction of body and tail of pancreas. And there's no large mass there, but as you look carefully through the data, you see a definite mass obstructing and cutting off the pancreatic duct. And this was an early pancreatic adenocarcinoma in the two centimeter size range. And look how obvious it is when you do a 3D map looking at the texture of the pancreas. So 3D mapping, one of the things it does provide is texture mapping, and that's indeed very important. Or in this example, dilated common duct, there's a transition, we see the transition, we see the tumor in the pancreatic head, we see involvement of the duodenum. Again, we took a thousand slices and we're breaking it down, analyzing it piece by piece, everything you need to know from arterial and venous phase imaging, for staging the patient, determining vascular involvement, as you can see in these examples. And again, looking in this case at the transition of the common duct and pancreatic duct, at the level of the mass. So just very nice visualization. And in fact, as you know, and we've spoken about this before, the consensus panels on how to evaluate the pancreas now for pancreatic cancer staging requires 3D imaging of dual phase data sets. In fact, it's changed how we think about pancreatic cancer. We used to think about resectable and unresectable. Now we're thinking about resectable and borderline resectable and its advances in both surgical technique, but also in imaging that has made this possible. And when these patients who are not resectable at time zero, remember to do surgery, you want negative margins. Patients are put on chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Uh, these type of protocols result often in margin negative resection. And a number of articles have shown the improvement in patient management. It also makes the point that multidisciplinary conferences become critical. And the experience from Hopkins and Pancras matches that very nicely, that in almost one quarter of patients, the recommendation for management changed based on this multidisciplinary board. Now, it's important to recognize that when you look at this a little bit more carefully, the majority of changes were done by imaging. And what we did with imaging was we often redid the cases, did 3D mapping. So sometimes the tumor staging was different. Sometimes what was thought to be adenocarcinoma was a neuroendocrine tumor. Sometimes what was thought to be adenocarcinoma was autoimmune pancreatitis. There are many reasons we've changed things, but it makes the point that within 3D, the added information made all the difference. You can see pitfalls. 
Here's a case of a patient with a cystic pancreatic lesion. When you look at it carefully on the axial images, it was read as a cyst. IPMN probably advised close follow-up. But when you looked at it in 3D, you recognize the enhancing rim to the lesion. IPMNs do not have enhancement. When you have enhancing rim like this, you've got to be thinking about a cystic neuroendocrine tumor. And you can see very nicely a couple other views showing you that lesion. And look how obvious it is in 3D. You wouldn't have recognized it in 2D, and it wasn't recognized. And it makes the point that small tumors like this one, look how small this lesion is, a sonometer, in the pancreatic head. First look, it looks like a cyst. You're thinking IPMN. Second look, it's enhancing rim. It's going to be a neuroendocrine tumor. So that indeed is very important. Now when we look at errors, one of the things we found that the classic errors all of us do make are often a limitation of how we look at the images. And what we'll do is let's take a break at this moment here and let's come back and pick it up from this point on. And with that, I'll see you in a couple minutes.